Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, today is episode 101. 101. And I hope all of our listeners had a chance to hear episode 100. It was so much fun. That was, I think, a lot of fun. The radio drama. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even some special little sound effects we got. <laughs> yes. Yes. And generally, every 10th episode, we do an Ask Andrew Anything. Well, we didn't do it the last episode. So we have to do it today. So we have to do it today. Oh, okay. You're going to ask me anything? Really hard questions. Well, okay. I'll put on my thinking cap and gird up my mental loins here. There you go. Okay. So some of these are pretty technical about our teaching writing system. So if people don't want technical answers, they should just skip this one? If they don't know our system really well, they might not know Exactly. So we would confuse them. We well, would I don't tempt them with secret knowledge, like a secret code. Or maybe they would be attracted to this really secret vocabulary we have. For example, okay. Bethany asks, if a paragraph starts with a number six, VSS, see how technical that is? I like that. Does the clincher have to reflect the VSS or does the clincher reflect the next sentence? I like technical questions like that because (laughs) I pretty much always have the answer. But the VSS, of course, is a very short sentence of five words or fewer. And so when you apply the topic clincher rule of units four, five, six, seven, eight, et cetera, when you apply that topic clincher rule and you have a VSS as the first and or the last sentence in the paragraph, you would count the first two sentences. Oh, great. So the VSS is kind of a freebie. It's like a dramatic opening. Mm-hmm. So it may not contain the words that are appropriate to the keywords of the topic. And likewise, if the last sentence is very short, then you can count the one just before the very short sentence at the end. So that's one way you can kind of cheat and get a few more extra words on either end to work with in terms of building a good topic clincher relationship, which of course is that the Topic sentence and the clincher sentence must repeat or reflect two or three key words. And every listener who knows our system did the hand motions with me. Maybe they did. Maybe <laughs> they did. Good. That's like when you're listening to an audiobook and the, and the author describes some facial expression and then you catch yourself <laughs> imitating that facial expression while you're driving and then you wonder what the guy in the car next to you said. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And I love the topic clincher rule. I love that, just like you described, this was exactly what happened to my own students. And that is it brought cohesion to the paragraphs. You start with a topic sentence that introduces the topic, but the clincher brings it all together. Love that. All right, next question. So Kathy's question is related to a sentence her son wrote where they couldn't decide if it fits one of the openers. Oh, so I love these sentence questions too. sentence opener question. Yeah, yes, okay. Yes. The sentence was along the lines of, found all around the North Pole, beluga whales, dot, dot, dot. So. Yes. 
That is a fairly easy one because there is an invisible word. Mm -hmm. So this comes up when we teach the invisible who which with the appositive, where you say Caesar, comma, a great Roman general, comma, conquered most of Gaul. You wouldn't say Caesar who was. You leave out the who was. So there's these invisible words. Same thing here. If you were to put in the invisible word, it would be a B form, mm -hmm. a form of B, and it would be being found around the North Pole, the beluga whales, blah, blah, blah. But we don't need that. We can leave it out in English, and it makes for a more elegant sentence. So you have that suppressed participle verb, making it a participle form, making it an invisible number four sentence opener. So if this were a student brand new to IEW and doesn't know the invisible ING opener, would you, st would you teach it to him? Well, if a student stumbled into a sentence like this mm -hmm. without any kind of instruction, it means two things. Number one, they have a great database of language, right? right? Mom probably read, mom or dad read to them a lot, or they read a lot. They've memorized poetry. They, they're language rich in sophisticated forms because we don't generally speak mm -hmm. that way. That's not a colloquial type of grammatical form. Yes, this so, student is 10. Yeah, well, that means you've got a very literate, high language database mm -hmm. person. The second thing is, is that usually if you're able to do something, you're going to be able to understand how it works. So mm -hmm. this would be a case where you could say, aha, there's a number four opener, and you've taught it, it's the ING. Or if you haven't taught it, boom, teach it. Sitting in the chair, comma, Andrew struggled to stay awake, mm -hmm. right? Or studying until midnight, comma, Michelle aced her chemistry exam, period, whatever. So you've got those obvious ones. But then you've got the subtler ones, such as the ED, Right? Mm -hmm. Deceived by the cunning fox, the crow opened her beak and cawed loudly. She was deceived. That's a past participle, right? She was being deceived, and there's where the being clues you in. And then sometimes, so it'd be like the being found all over the North Pole. Right. Then sometimes you can even do that with an adjective, right? Oh, so bright and crisp, comma, the... Mm -hmm. April morning brought joy to my heart. Mm -hmm. So what was being bright and crisp? The April morning. Mm -hmm. But we drop off the being. And in that case, bright and crisp are, of course, parts of speech, adjectives. So this shows also the relationship between what a participle is, which, according to my Latin book, is defined as in a verbal adjective, mm. and the use of adjectives with a suppressed verb as an opener. So we would throw all those in and call them participle openers, number four. And if the ING is suppressed, then we could call it an invisible number four. Right. And even as you're describing all of this, and I'm thinking of a lot of the grammar words that you're spouting out, I think of the teacher or the parent who doesn't actually own our teaching, writing, structure, and style 
teacher training course. I don't know that Kathy would be able to help her 10-year-old student with identifying this as an ING opener if she didn't have that. But obviously she does have that because she asked the question, what type of sentence opener is it? She did. So that's good. But it is interesting. We get these words that float around in our world like Mm -hmm. participle, Mm -hmm. and most people don't really know. They couldn't either define it or give an example. But as soon as we teach them how to do it, put it on a checklist and practice it a few times, well, oh, now you know what it is. Right. Now you have ownership. So that's one of the great things about the style techniques. Okay, Cindy sends us this question. We feel our sixth grade, almost 12-year-old son has had weak writing instruction to this point. He's a voracious reader with a great vocabulary and good grades to date, but he has Asperger's and ADHD. We're familiar with your work and are very interested in your online classes. It's a good way to meet his needs and receive great instruction. So this is probably a mom who's brand new to IEW. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you had a good way of determining if we should select level A or level B for an online class. Well, you know how we organize our A, B, and C products, and that's by reading level. So in the strictest sense, we would say the reading level of the source texts and the sophistication of those is approximately grade three to five at level A, grade six to eight at level B, and grade nine and up at level C. So if you have a good, strong reader, you would you know, put them in probably that category that corresponds with their reading level, not just their age-based grade identification. But on the other hand, when you have a student that has attention issues or processing issues of some sort, they get overwhelmed by complexity very easily. And when you find a student who is a good reader, is very intelligent, but has a difficult time with the writing or seems to be not writing as well as you would hope or expect for that age, generally that's because they get overwhelmed with the process. And in that case, it's safer to err on the side of simpler. Mm -hmm. You, You can always increase complexity. If you start out and it's pretty simple, pretty easy, then students have success, they start to like the activity. Then you could increase the complexity of the texts or next year jump a level if it were appropriate or whatever. Mm -hmm. My inclination is to say it's always better to err on the side of simpler because if you err on the side of being more complex and easily overwhelming, then you get a student who starts to dislike that thing, which is the last thing you want. The last thing we want, too. We want all the kids to love what we think. I would mention that in this case, the online class isn't necessarily the best option when you have a student that has issues learning. Sticking them in front of a screen for an hour isn't necessarily the easiest way for them to Mm -hmm. learn that. Perhaps the time and resources would be better invested in the mom and or the dad learning the program maybe choosing one of our theme-based writing lessons and working with him, you know, in a more one-on-one kind of shorter chunks of time Mm -hmm. way. Because, you know, ADD, ADHD, I always Mm -hmm. think, you know, 20 minutes, you're probably good for a Mm -hmm. while. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, because of the format of the online classes, they have to be pretty much the whole hour. So there's a few things to think about there. Well, and I just have two things to add to your answer. And that is, we do have the grammar component of that. So we do add in fix it. Mm -hmm. So if you have a 
level A student, they're going to start with the Fix-It level one. You might want to take the grammar placement test at IEW.com fix to know whether or not your student is ready for level B or level A online class because he'll either do being fix one or fix three because fix it two goes in the continuation course. Oh. It's a little complicated, but that's part of our online class. Okay. Schedule and and can she can always call and talk to someone. Absolutely. And the other thing I was going to say is we are, I think we surprised even you, Andrew, with the level of engagement that these students have in our online classes. Mm-hmm. And our teachers are really good at asking questions and making sure that every student is engaged in the learning. Yes, so. they are. That is true. They really are. Okay, I have another question. This one is from Heidi. And she says, speaking of grammar and writing and what to do and all that, so this is her question. I don't think my daughter can handle both fix it and the student writing intensive level A. What should I do first? She's nine and will be in the fourth grade. So kind of a follow-up question is, what should we be teaching a student first, writing or grammar? Well, I wouldn't simplify it and make it exclusive because if you do the student intensive A or you start out with our program, immediately, as soon as you get into the dress-ups, you're learning grammar. Exactly. You're reinforcing knowledge of parts of speech, starting to learn about dependent clauses. You're refining your mechanics and punctuation. So you're not not teaching grammar. You're just teaching grammar in the context of using it and applying it. Which, of course, is where it's going to stick. Yes. So I think we would agree the answer is yet writing first. Now, I would say, I have been asked this question by many people as a music teacher. Well, my my son who plays the violin would also like to play the guitar. Do you think Mm. he can handle two instruments? Mm. The answer is, of course. The question is, can you, Mm. the mom, (laughs) handle two instruments? (laughs) Because that's uh, more of a commitment of everything. Mm -hmm. So in this case, it might be a parallel situation. The student might really be fine with another 10 minutes a day on a fix-it, but it might be one more added complexity to the mom's life and just not quite ready for that. Right. And, and the good thing, too, is you could you could try the fix-it, and if it goes great, she'll love it, you love it, it's taking 10 minutes a day, you're done, it's, it's easy, and you're successful. If you try it and you get bogged down in a couple of weeks, well, just back burner it. There's no rule that says you have to use what you get right now. You can get it now, try it out, and if you think it's a little young or you're a little overwhelmed, whatever, sideline it or send it back for a refund. Great. Okay, John asks, I'm trying to determine the right course for my son who will be in ninth grade this year. This is, again, a homeschooler. I see that following Narnia, volume one, is intended for grade six to eight. Can you guess what this question is going to be? However, I believe someone mentioned on the IEW forum that volume one can be adapted to make it appropriate for the high school level. Could you please provide some feedback? Yes, well, without seeming too cynical, here'd be my experience. If you gave me a room full of kids, all of whom were in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I might not know who's in what grade. Mm -hmm. They might know, but it wouldn't necessarily be evident to me either by the way they look, the way they talk, or the way they write. So honestly, that book for a student in that age range would be fine. Absolutely. Absolutely no problem. And as I said in response to the other question, it's better to err on the side of a little simpler than to say, oh, no, this 
child is now in high school, we must do something painfully rigorous. <laughs> so let's jump into U.S. history advanced or advanced, you know some yeah. crazy thing. So I think you'd be very fine in Narnia. I don't think you have to worry about grade level in writing because there is no such thing. Mm -hmm. There pretty much hasn't been for a long, long time at least, and none of the touted standards of the day are concrete enough where you would ever say that the grade 9 standards are any different than the grade 10 or the grade 7 standards. So what you're basically wanting, and, and my point to all, all listeners would be, you don't judge a situation based on comparing this child with other child approximately that same age and what that expectation is. You judge the child in comparison to themselves. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is that wherever you start, you're gradually getting better over time. Right. And you look back and say, hey, I write better, I speak better, I read better, I think better, I color better, I <laughs> do triathlons better, whatever you do, than a year ago. Right? And so I think clearly this student starting in Narnia, doing all those lessons for you know, nine, shoot, anyone at this table could probably do those lessons. And even though we think we know it all, yes. we'd probably be better yes. as a result of doing it. Yes, and, and what you said just right there reminds me of how you can use a book like Following Narnia and use the exact same book for multiple students at multiple ages and abilities and they would they would write differently because they're different students, but they would all grow in their writing. Exactly, skills. and you could, and I think he this is where he must have read on one of the discussion boards or something. Mm -hmm. You can customize a checklist. Mm -hmm. So if you feel that the checklist provided by the theme based writing book is going a little slowly, if you've done the teaching writing instruction style course yourself, you know the next technique's coming. You can add those onto a checklist and speed up the rate at which new techniques are added in mm -hmm. and therefore the complexity. Likewise, if the checklist is going too fast, you can cross off one or two things and speed down the checklist. And so ideally, you want to customize the checklist for the student or students that you are teaching. Great. Good. Okay, Rebecca from Massachusetts asks... I'm trying to find a writing program for my daughter to use before she goes to college this fall. She has had some writing but needs to have basic improvement in practice. What do you suggest? College this fall. So we're talking a month, basically. Yeah, basically summer crash course. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess what I would probably say is do the student writing intensive group C in four days. Mm -hmm. Don't do all the in-between assignments. Just do the video assignments. And that gives you the full foundation of the, the structural models up to the essay, topic clincher, the story sequence chart, the stylistic techniques, openers, dress-ups, even the decorations. It's, it's a crash course. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to do all the assignments that we provide. You can do just the video assignments, and that's the way it was once upon a time. That's mm -hmm. all we had. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, if you can, supplementing that with the high school essay intensive, the first two-thirds to three-fourths of the content is very broadly applicable to any type of advanced writing. The last part would be less significant because it's all about the ACT and SAT, and this student presumably has already jumped through those hoops. And a college application essay. And the college again, application. Yep. But, you know, I find that whatever you teach, there's usually some cross-application as well. But that would be the second thing I'd add in. And then if you want some bonus frosting on your little academic 
cram cake here, <laughs> the advanced communication series right. with the advanced note-taking. Oh, that is, mm-hmm. I've had kids come back after a couple years in college and tell me that saved their life mm-hmm. in taking notes and being able to use information as well as helping with recall and study. Then, of course, the power tips for planning and writing a college-level paper. <laughs> that one is subtitled unofficially, How to Spy on Your Professor and Figure Out His Writing Style So You Can Imitate It and Get a Better Grade in Every Class. So this is the idea of once you get into college or university environment, you're not writing for your mom and you're not writing for your high school teacher. You're not even writing for yourself. Mm-hmm. Your audience is now a professor, which you may or may not know much about, but you can glean clues. You can look at what he's written or provides you or likes or recommends and try to make a little checklist of techniques and and writing tools that this professor might like or more specifically style techniques he might not like. And then you can make yourself a little do these things when possible, avoid these things checklist, and then he'll read it and he'll like it better. He'll like it because it sounds just like you. And, you know, regardless of the content, the style will Mm -hmm. appeal. Yes, and this advanced communication series, that's a video course, and you actually demonstrate this on there. Yes, we do, and Mm -hmm. we go through a little exercise. So I think those three, if you really want the crash course deluxe Mm -hmm. version of as much as you can get from (laughs) us to you and to your kid's brain in (laughs) one month, that's the way I'd go. All right. When you think about the cost, all that wisdom, all that knowledge. Right. That's less than one college credit. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And something that will be perhaps even pay for itself because this student then will become a tutor to other students. Oh, or better yet, get on the dean's list and get extra scholarships. <laughs> there you go. Sounds great. Okay, I have a question about the phonetic zoo. What happens when they complete all f- levels? So this student has completed level C of the phonetic zoo? Well, two options. One is just kind of be done with spelling. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what a lot of schools do in eighth grade anyway, is say, yeah, you pretty much got it. Now you're on your own. You know how to either spell it or figure out how to spell it. So good luck. The other thing is, of course, we have the advanced spelling and vocabulary course. And while the words are not organized phonetically in the same way, they are organized by discipline. And when we made that, well, you remember, Mm -hmm. we we sat in that very hot, hot room <laughs> making that thing. Mm-hmm. I learned new words. Yes. You know, words I was a little fuzzy on, but if someone says, well, what does that really mean? I don't think I could have told them. So mm-hmm. it's definitely an advanced vocabulary course. And then the last thing I'd say, and we don't really have a product to address this at the moment, but this student should definitely be having an opportunity to study Greek and Latin word roots, and then preferably even the Latin language, Mm -hmm. 60-some percent of all three-syllable words in English are derived from the Latin. Mm -hmm. And so when you study the Latin, you kind of get X-ray vision, and and that helps a great deal with spelling. With spelling, yep. Yep, that's great. Okay, last question. Okay. That's a good one. This is, again, a homeschooling mother. Okay. Her daughter, homeschooled, is entering ninth grade. She writes very well and has not struggled in any area of the program she's completed. She's completed the student writing intensive level B and will be finishing the continuation course level B in a couple of weeks. She would really like to complete a course geared more toward writing her own books this year. We are wondering if elegant essay or speech boot camp could be swapped out. 
with a guide to writing your novel or how to write a story. Now, she's following a suggested pathway that we have in our Magalog and that right. we have on yeah. our website. And so this is what they're suggesting after uh, continuation courses, perhaps doing a guide sure. to writing your novel. Well, the guide to writing your novel would be good. It's not a course in the sense that it gives a series of assignments that gets you to the end. You you kind of get all this advice and it's up to you to apply it. So it's very useful, I think, for students that are highly motivated and, you know, would be the kind who would Google up how to write a novel, mm-hmm. you know, and try to make use of that information. There is a much more extensive course. We don't sell it, but I've taught through it with a group of kids, and that's the one-year adventure novel. Mm-hmm. So it's a great course. It's it's much more controlled. It's much more expensive, <laughs> but that might be. Mm-hmm. My intuition is calling me to suggest to this particular family here, as she described that daughter in the beginning, honestly, she could probably begin taking college-level classes, Mm. especially in English areas. So Mm -hmm. composition class and English lit, either online, and there's a number of opportunities there. One I just heard about is integritycollegesolutions.com, and they offer a variety of online asynchronous, meaning at your own pace, college-level classes, and uh, that would be a way to go. Or even look at a dual enrollment program at one of the local junior uh, community or private schools. The thing is, what I've noticed is most well-read, articulate kids who've done our program and are in that age range of 14, 15, they can usually walk into a college class and write circles around their 19-year-old non-peers because the 19-year-old non-peers don't have that level of training, experience, language database, background right. literature. So why not consider the idea or take it to an extreme and just say no to high school? Mm. You know, why do high school? College right now is what high school was 70 years ago. Kids are completely competent and able to do it. So why not just say no to high school and start your college classes right now? Right, and with so much of it available online, you don't have to worry about the social concerns that sure. might be happening. Sure, online classes. Yep. To, and even if you send a 15-year-old into a community college mm-hmm. to take a class or mm-hmm. two, there's no way a homeschool 15-year-old is going to be as stupid as a bunch of 19-year-olds in a community <laughs> college class. Why? Because she's outside her peer group. Right. She's not going to sink down to that level. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a safer environment when you're outside mm-hmm. that age grouping. Yep. Well, these were great questions. Thank you, listeners, for submitting these to us. And we do welcome you to send questions about anything. And, of course, there's always a filter here that decides whether or not I actually ask them. Well, and and you don't have to wait until a podcast to get your question answer. We have a marvelous customer service department. We do. We're so proud of our customer service team. Who are well-equipped to either answer these clearly or pass them on to someone who can. Right. That's one thing we always strive for is that no query is left unattended to. Exactly, exactly. Well, pleasure again chatting with you, Andrew. As always, end of podcast 101. 101. I can't believe it. Yep. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 
or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.